sacrificing love causes him to put her first. He is to care for his wife and do it in the same way the Lord nourishes and cherishes the church. And if we had the time, we could dive into that and see how the Lord cares for us. This is the pattern our husbands are to follow. Wow, what a huge responsibility. I do not lay all of this out for us to compare what we've just heard from God's word to what we have at home in our husband and be discontent, but to challenge ourselves. Do I let my husband do this? How do I help my husband fulfill his role? Do I make it difficult for him? So much so that he's given up trying? How receptive am I when he tries to lead me in becoming conformed to Christ? Now, let's compare our job description to that of our husband's. I started out with the husband's job in verse 25, but let's go back to the beginning of the passage in verse 22, and then we'll jump to the end in verse 33. Ephesians 5.22 starts out, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Does this make you groan in your heart? Here we go again with that submission thing. Kind of like when you hear about the Proverbs 31 woman again. My prayer today is to shed a little different light on this subject of submission and encourage your heart that you can do this and maybe even help you be excited to get home and get started. Yes, God commanded it of us, but he doesn't just leave us to figure it out on our own. And I can't wait to show you how he has uniquely equipped us as women to obey his command. And guess what? Obedience brings blessing. Write that one down somewhere. Those words are true, simple and direct. They pack a punch and they are truly words to live by. Obedience brings blessing. Do you remember when you were falling in love, getting engaged, planning the wedding, and thinking there was nothing more in the world that you wanted to do than submit to your husband, follow him anywhere he went, and honor the Lord with your marriage? Where did that desire go? Once real life sets in, all that starts to fade away. None of us are wired naturally to submit to anyone, not to the Lord and not to our husbands. Let's go back to Genesis and find out why, why God had to command it of us knowing that we, it wouldn't happen naturally. In Genesis 3, what caused Eve to finally cross over and reach for that piece of fruit? Satan filled her mind with all sorts of lies about God and what he commanded. However, the final lie was that she would be like God. No limits, no inhibitions, no one telling her what to do, and having all knowledge and wisdom. She liked the sound of that and took a bite. Fast forward to Genesis 3.16, and God, when God is placing curses because of Eve's and then Adam's sin. Let's look at Eve's curse that stretches all the way to us today. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. What does that mean? It means she wants to be in control and have things done her way and essentially be the leader in the marriage. And if we look at most marriages, women have done just that. We are well suited to take over. We can handle the details of our home and family and start to view our husband as just along for the ride. And how many men just give up and let this happen? To them, it's not worth the nagging and the arguing they will be subjected to if they try to keep the leadership role in the home. Ladies, this is something we must fight against. In Genesis 2, we can see where this whole concept of a wife or a helper came from, which will help us better understand our role in marriage. 
In Genesis 2.18, before God called his creation very good, at the end of the sixth day, he saw that Adam needed a companion, a helper, an equal. This was the first and only element of God's creation that God said was not good. Man was incomplete, needy, without someone to compliment him in the task of filling, multiplying, and taking dominion over the earth. This was not a flaw or a mistake in God's creation, but was designed by our loving creator to show Adam his need, which could only be fulfilled by his wife. And so God created a helper for Adam in Genesis 2.18 when he said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Did you catch the word at the end of that verse? A helper fit for him. There was no other part of creation that would suffice as a helper for Adam. Two verses later, we see Adam naming all the animals, and he's seeing that each has a mate, a helper fit for them. But none of what he saw would work for him. What was he to do? This points to Adam's inadequacy. Woman was created by God to meet his deficiency, which we see in 1 Corinthians 11:9. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Eve was not incomplete. Adam was. She was created to be a completer, a helper. So let me let you in on a little secret. Man was not God's gift to the world. Woman was. <laughs> now, please do not go home and announce this to your husband. <laughs> this concept could be very devastating to some. And so we see that only a woman is fit to be a man's helper. She was created specifically for this purpose. Once Eve came on the scene, God said that his creation was very good. And then on the seventh day, he rested. Let's look at what God intended man's helper to be. What does it mean that we are fit for our husband? In our culture, and unfortunately so much in the church as well, referring to a woman as a helper is a dirty word. It rivals submission as maybe the worst thing that you can say about a woman. But ladies, we must understand that it is our goal to help our husbands. Like it or not, this is what we were created for. We just looked at the Herculean job laid out for our men to fulfill. Do you think they can do this all on their own? Now, before we react too strongly and allow worldly thinking to permeate our response to this, that being a helper is beneath us, understand that helping, though a term of submission, is not a term of shame. Let's look at God's word to see what it says about being a helper. Psalm 54, 4 says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. John 14, 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Hebrews 13, 6 quotes Psalm 18, so we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? To bristle at the thought of being a helper to our husband is to make quite a statement about the God of the universe. Are we saying we are better than God? What a powerful testimony we see in these verses we just read. Our all-powerful God helps us in the same way that a woman is called to help her man. God doesn't command us to submit to and help our husband and then just leave us to do it. He personally shows us in the way that he helps us. He is the example and we can find joy in imitating him. Let's go back to John 14, 6 that I just read. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The word for helper in Genesis is the same word used for the Holy Spirit in this verse. Did you catch that? The, the word for helper in Genesis, which was why Eve was created, is the same word used for the Holy Spirit in this verse. Wait, does this mean that I am the Holy Spirit for my husband? <laughs> Before your mind gets blown, let's look at what this means. And to answer that question, no, you are not God and you are not the Holy Spirit. But our role is to imitate him for the purpose of loving and helping our husband be the man of God, the leader of our family, and the husband he is called to be. We get to have a big part in how successful he is. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? We are actually called to help our husband in the same way the Holy Spirit helps us. We are a helper to our husband by imitating the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So now let's briefly look at the role and ministry of the Holy Spirit to see what we are called to mimic. From John 14, 15, Romans 8, and so many other passages in scripture, we can compile quite a list of what the Holy Spirit does for believers. He teaches, guides, protects, encourages, convicts of sin, directs us to worship, points us to Christ, loves us, reminds us, gives us peace, helps our weaknesses, comforts us, and advocates or prays for us to the, before the Father. What a ministry. If we took the time to dissect each one of these attributes, do you know what we would be describing? Let's look at Galatians 5, and 23 and find out. You can say it with me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Does anyone know these? Patience, kindness, goodness, gentle, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I had to read it because I get nervous. <laughs> we teach our children the fruit of the Spirit, what should show in our lives if we are truly saved. And when we take a moment to look at the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives, we see where it comes from. His work in us lines up perfectly with Galatians 5. As we fulfill our role as our husband's helper, follow the Holy Spirit's example of how he is our helper, this is how we do it. With love, joy, peace. As believers, we are called to be instruments of peace. Patience, kindness, gentleness, the most forgotten of the fruit of the Spirit, and self-control. One of the ways the Holy Spirit works to, convicts us of, to convict us of our sin is, is oh, what can we learn from how the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin? And how can we learn about that in our role with our husband? Does he hit us over the head with it? No. He gently and faithfully shows us our sin and where we fall short with love, patience, kindness, and goodness, wanting only our best. He desires that we grow in sanctification to become more like Christ and knows exactly what we need to progress towards that goal. And who knows our husband better than we do? We know his weaknesses, where he has the hardest time fulfilling that role commanded of him. How can you be his helper, encourager, lover, comforter, and advocate before God? Start by being his friend. Ask yourself, who is your best friend? Who do you want to tell right away when something happens? And who would you most want to spend time with? That should be your husband. If that friendship isn't there, it can be developed. And what better way to be that helpmate in life, 
helping him fulfill his role in leading you than to be his best friend. What does this look like in your home? First, how well do you know your man? Do you know his favorites? I thought I knew John pretty well after 30-ish years of marriage, but a few years ago I found out maybe I didn't. I had to call the utility company. My husband's name was on the account and they couldn't help me unless I could answer the security question. The question was, what is his favorite movie? I don't know what he would put as his favorite movie. I realized I had no idea. Talk about embarrassing. But when it was clear I could not answer, the very kind and understanding and laughing agent on the phone asked me if I would like to know my husband's favorite movie. <laughs> well, yes, I would. And guess what? His favorite movie is Casablanca. I will never forget that. You probably know your man's favorite color, his favorite food, but do you know his favorite movie? Do you know his favorite Bible verse? Do you know what passage of scripture he wants to go to when he's in the middle of a trial or a hard time? Or when maybe you're not fulfilling your role and helping him leading you? Don't agonize if you don't know these things, but find out. Ask him if he knows your favorites, but don't get offended or hurt if he doesn't. How do we be our husband's friend? A friend is many things, but most importantly, they are trustworthy. Proverbs 31, yes, Proverbs 31, 11 and 12. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Does the heart of your husband trust in you? He should not have to think twice if he can tell you something and know it will be safely kept, not repeated or used to ridicule him. A friend is also, also sacrificial. They will give of their time and resources to serve their friend. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Few, if any of us, are gonna be asked to lay down our life for our husband, our children, or our friends, but Christ willingly did. Christ is our example of a friend who is sacrificial. But what does that look like in our marriages? Are you willing to give up your agenda for the day to do what he wants to do or wants you to do? It can be something as simple as sitting down and watching the game with him, whether or not you have any idea what's going on. Um, if it's something he's interested in, enjoys doing, you, are you willing to put aside your interest and join in his? Do you ask if he has something else he was planning to do before handing him your list of honeydews? It takes two seconds to ask a simple question, yet it portrays a heart that wants to put your husband first. Sacrificing means finding out what kinds of things say I love you to our husbands and understanding that it is most likely not the same thing that says I love you to us. For him, it could be sitting and watching that game or going for a run together. For you, perhaps getting some projects completed that only your man can do. Learning to love our husbands how they want to be loved, though not terribly difficult, requires effort, especially if it is opposite or very different than how we want to be loved. Are we willing to let the little things go? Be our husband's friend by, be, by being willing to sacrifice for him. Friendship also involves being sensitive, supportive, and making time for that other person. Our friendship with our husband is worth any sacrifice it seems that we must make. Are we our husband's friend, his girlfriend? How do we rekindle that or keep it alive? Do our husbands know that we would still like to date him? And thank you 
Where's Emily? Thank you for those great dating ideas and Kari. That was wonderful. So how are things going in your marriage? Is the, in the busyness of raising the sweet children that God has placed in your family, have you forgotten what we are called to do as wives? Be his helpmate, his companion, his helper, the one who completes him, the one who enables him to fulfill his role as your husband and be the leader of your home, the one who allows him to be obedient to God's command to present you to him holy and without blemish. How does this happen? Willingly and lovingly coming under his leadership. While we are equals, we follow the example of Christ, who being 100% God, willingly submitted himself to God. We submit ourselves to civil authorities that God has placed over us and their laws, including speeding laws, right? How much more should we follow God's command and ideal for marriage that reflects him and can bring him glory by obediently submitting? What a testimony to the world. There's a quote at the top of your handout that reads like this. Merely being faithful to your spouse is quite a testimony today. But as you go beyond that to communicate love for your spouse in a consistent, creative, and uninhibited way, the world can't help but notice. And God will be honored. What submission doesn't mean is that you're a doormat. Your husband always gets his way, and you're serving him hand and foot all the days of your life. When our son James was preparing to marry his Jessie and take on the responsibility of leading her, he asked my husband about submission and how to do this marriage thing. John told him, when you have a decision to make, you'd be stupid if you didn't listen to Jessie and glean from her wisdom. She is your partner, your gift from God. Always seek her input. So we've taken quite an extensive look at our first command as wives in Ephesians 5.22, and now let's jump to verse 33 and see the second command. We only have two, very different than our husbands. The end of verse 33 says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. What does respect mean? A feeling of deep admiration for someone or something elicited by their abilities, qualities, or achievements. Elizabeth Elliot was a wonderfully godly woman, and there is a podcast that has all the messages that she gave over the years. I would say I greatly admire her and her steadfast love and devotion to the Lord and his word, but there are times she absolutely zings me, and it doesn't feel good. It's usually obvious things that she brings out and prefaces with, you're not going to like this, but it's not me, it's God's word. And then I know that whatever she's about to zing me with, I have no excuse. She calls us to God's standard, not our own. And here's one of those times Elizabeth Elliot brought up a verse that I've read a million times and have even chuckled about, but never taken seriously as something I needed to apply to my life. And this is a practical example of how we fulfill the command to respect our husband. Here is one of those, you're not going to like this, but it's God's word, not mine moments. First Peter 3.6 says, go and treat your husband as you would treat Jesus. Call him Lord and serve him. This is how we are to view our husbands and act accordingly. Do we treat our husbands as we would treat Jesus Christ if he were in our home, sitting on that couch when you get back this morning? If it was Christ, you would do everything you could to serve him, take care of all his needs, and look for anything else you could do for him. And this verse tells us to treat our husbands in the same way. Go and treat your husbands as you would treat Jesus. 
call him Lord and serve him. Now, mind you, it's Lord with a small L, but whether or not our husbands deserve this kind of treatment, we are to give it to them. Ephesians 5.33 doesn't command us to respect our husband if he is worthy of it, if he has earned it. No, the command is simple and concise. Respect your husband. Now what? What if none of these things are going on in your home? Your husband is not leading you, not leading your family, not engaged in the life of your family. And what if you know that you are not submitting to his leadership, respecting his role in your marriage and life? Where do we go from here? I encourage you, take a step back. Look at your own life. Look at your own walk with the Lord. How much time are you giving the Lord amid your busy life? How are you making time to be in the word, to pray for your husband and the incredible job he has in leading you, your family, and supporting you each day by working hard and bringing home that paycheck? Do you thank him for that? Do your children see your thankful heart for how God has provided for your family through the man that you got to marry? When he walks through that door at the end of the day, how do you greet your man? Are you loving, thankful he is home, thankful for the long day of work that he's put in to support your family? Or do you play tag, you're it, and hand off the kids because after all, you've had them all day, it's your turn for a break and time for him to do his part. Do you take the time, maybe just a moment, to greet and love on your man? My kids used to hate it when dad got home because first things first, mom and dad had to kiss, hug, and say, I love you. Talk about being grossed out. But they hung around for those fleeting seconds in order to then get their own love bucket filled by dad. We can spend all sorts of time and energy calculating how far our husbands and marriages fall short of our ideal and the biblical ideal and really begin to have a pity party. But again, I encourage you, look at your own life first. Do you encourage your husband? Does he know you have his back? Does he know you still love him? Does he know you'd still say I do all over again? And do you wonder, would I say I do all over again if given the opportunity? Where do we start? First, pray. You've married the man that God chose for you. At the beginning of our time this morning, I asked you to write down things that you're thankful for for your husband. In your prayer, start there. Get your focus off yourself and how you might be suffering and give glory to God for his provision and for how he is working. Thank him for gently showing you where you fall short and then you can start to make changes through his strength and turn your marriage into something that brings glory to him. Next, we forgive. We all got married for all sorts of reasons. Learning forgiveness was not anywhere near the top or the top of the list. In fact, it was hard to imagine that there would ever be anything to forgive. But when two sinners live under the same roof, forgiveness is a daily reality. Hurt can happen, sometimes even intentionally, And so we are thankful for the constant opportunity to cultivate this vital spiritual discipline. Did you catch that? We are thankful for the opportunity to forgive or to seek forgiveness from our spouse. If you have been wronged or have done the wronging, take a quick moment to turn your eyes to Christ and thank him. Remember Philippians 4, 6, in everything give thanks. Yes, you may have been let down, betrayed, hurt, 
exasperated by the shortcomings of your husband, and you can actually become quite angry. But we are called to forgive, pursue this person, to embrace them and grow towards them. See the quote at the end of the handout that says, love is a heart that moves, moves away from self and toward the other. Every single one of us married a sinner. And guess what? So did they. We just went over what our course of action should be if this is not happening in our home. Our husband is not fulfilling his role. He has not earned our respect. Do we remember what we just said? We pray and we forgive and then we obey. Do what you are called to do. No excuses. You have the Holy Spirit in you, strengthening your heart to obey and display his fruit. When we are faithful to obey, we can step back and watch God work. When we decide to follow God's plan laid out in 1 Peter and treat our husbands as we would treat Christ, were he in our home, God will bless. Our pride might take a little bit of a beating, but the blessing of our own spiritual growth and sanctification and the testimony of our marriage to a watching world starting with our children, will be just some of the blessings. Marriage is a parable of the gospel, purposely designed by God to tell the truth about the gospel. Look back at the passage on the first page of your handout, Ephesians 5, the last sentence of that middle paragraph, which quotes Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is a visual reminder, expression, and testimony of the love between Christ and the church. We get to play a role in showing that beautiful picture to the world. No two marriages are the same, yet we pray, forgive, and obey, and let God do the work. Does your husband, does your husband fall short? Leave it to God. I pray you are encouraged and energized to head back home and be the helper fit for your husband as you both, through the power of the Holy Spirit, who promises to always be with us, make, you a God, make yours a godly home in an ever-darkening world. May your homes be the light of Christ to the world who so needs him. Don't look for what you expect to change or improve, but look to God and wait for his will for his purposes to come to pass. And at the end of it all, it might even be you that changes the most. Thank you.